Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 94, lovely to have you with us uh, yet again, nice to be back here alongside the great man Mark Hayes, lovely to see you Hazy. I'm pretty chuffed to be in a studio with you Andy, it's been, it's a, been while, a while my friend, it's yeah. been far too long, yeah. you're looking well. Um, not, but thank you for saying it. Joe Charlton mm-hmm. is back. It's been, it has been it genuinely has been too long. genuinely far too long, I think it was close to 30 episodes since I've been in. So, um, yeah. We're in the 60s when you are last year. Yes, correct. And we're almost at the ton. Well, give almost us raised the bat. Tell us something exciting that's happened to you between now and then. Between now and then. Oh, lots happened over the summer, actually. We might get to it at some point. But uh, obviously, the, the one goal free structure has meant new challenges for, for me, looking after um, the Vic Open and the Women's Australian Open with a yep. team, which has been a remarkable, um, crazy, awesome, all of the above, huge team effort. So that's been taking up a lot of my time over the last few months. So... Good to be back. Joe ran those shows, Andy. I'm not sure if you know. As a team member, I ran it. As a team member. As a team member. Oh, well, Always no, a team member. Your a very high-ranking no, team member. Well, your capabilities know no bounds. No, it's good to I've be back. I've been saying this to you for quite some time now. Uh, it's great to have Dave McKenzie as part of the show today. There's a lot to talk to David about regarding his career, which we'll do in the kind of middle part of the show, but there's a bit of golf to talk about before we get there. Thanks for being part of it, Dave. Good to see you. I'm privileged to join you guys. <laughs> we're, we're pretty lucky yeah. to have you in town. Before we, we will talk to you more in the second segment, as Andy said, but we're pretty lucky to catch you in town. Yeah, I leave again on Monday. So, uh, what's today, Tuesday? I lose count track of the day. Yeah, it is Tuesday. Yeah. Sort of Let's yeah. see if you still think you're privileged in about 45 minutes' time. <laughs> you, might have a, you might have a very different view about life once we get there. Um, so, we'll talk about you and where you're at with your journey through golf and what you're doing at the moment um, then. Um, but let's talk about the, you know, the the big story of the days of the week has obviously been the players again and um, just where this tournament sits in the scheme of things, whether it deserves the kind of overt sort of self-anointance that it gets from um, the PGA Tour. I'm sure I've just made up a word there, but I that's like okay. Self-anointance. Like self-anointance. Are we happy with that? Yeah, no, it'll be that in kind the, of washes a bit, It'll be in it? the Oxford yeah. in a couple of years. Well, let's start with you, Dave. <laughs> this notion that it's the fifth major, this kind of self-appointed title that it, that it, that it holds dearly onto. Yeah, they're doing their best to um, to promote it as much as they can. It's a big tournament for sure, but as far as I'm concerned, it's not a major. It's got one of the best fields that you're going to get um, for sure because you, you have a look at the quality of the field. It's, it's, it's a little better than the Masters. It's a fantastic field, but fifth major, not so sure. You hate it? No, it's a disgusting concept. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, you know, Dave says it perfectly, but from my perspective, it's just the PGA Tour aggrandizing itself. Mm. Which which it does from about three days before the tournament starts. It does before the start of play every day with its the, – the, the TV coverage is so saccharine that we get on this event. There's this kind of – they kind of deify the whole thing. The guys who are talking about the tournament before we get a ball played and then analyzing it beyond the fun. It, they kind of puncture the fun out of the thing with the amount of – analysis that they provide post round it's it's too much it's it's a very iconic event for me and i'm all about innovation love innovation new ideas but i don't think we're in the business of creating majors i think we've got to stand out in our history and respect that but um so it's, it is very very iconic but let's just leave it at that leave it at the balance between pros and fans and the fan engagement part of it is amazing mm. coming from a sort of tournament direct, um, administration point of view but we're not in the business of creating new majors. No. There's plenty of other tournaments that could rightly put put their name in the front of the queue before that one. It does have stuff going for it, irrespective of the conversation we just had. It, it is, in terms of status, highly regarded. But do you like the fact that 
we get to play the same course every year and the, the holes like what we have happening at Augusta mm. every year start to have their own history and their own story to be told? Well, my opinion is that is if I like the golf course, then definitely I want to come back there every year. <laughs> okay, right. like it, that yep. I don't. I don't necessarily think that I want to be back there all the time. Um, but the the thing that they make it the best, and I'd be there every year, is that they're playing for what twelve point five million dollars mm. um, in prize money. So that's one of the big things on offer for players because guys who don't have status on the PGA Tour, because I think Eddie Pepperell, I don't think has status on the PGA Tour that he may have actually got some status for next year. So. All those sort of guys, they want to get in it. They want to play it. The purse is so big that it can get your status to play the PGA Tour as well. Two point two five US million to the uh, to the winner. Yeah, yeah. well, okay. I mean, you can. It's a million more than the Australian Open total, total. prize pool. <laughs> well, I mean, for a professional golfer, that's what it's about, right? I mean, you're there for to sure. make money. It's your job. So the more money on offer, the more money you can make. It's it's a no brainer for why, irrespective of the the caliber of the title. When there's, when there's that much money on offer, of course you want to be part of it. And that's the big thing about it. The PGA Tour makes it as big thing, and they need to do that sort of thing because they need to promote it to be able to keep their brand the way that it is. If they mm. don't keep promoting their brand, um, it becomes a FedEx Cup event, and then that just becomes one of the other 40-odd mm. events for their yep. season or 45 events for their season. So they've got to do something. It's good to have a voice of reason in here. Did you have a, irrespective of all this, so we're starting from a – like a, a partial point of negativity on this one, but it does throw up every single year. It does throw up moments that you'll maybe not never forget, but will linger for a little while in the memory. There were a couple, again, you come to Saturday and Sunday and, um, you know, particularly Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, our time. There were, uh, is there a moment? Was there a shot? Was there a sequence of a particular player's performance that, will carry with us for quite some time to come. I really, especially in hindsight, and listening to him talk about it, I really loved Rory's bunker shot there from the fairway on 15. Um, it, on, on face value, it doesn't look, you know, the grandstand shot like, uh, you know, we talked, Dave talked about Pepperell on the 17th and uh, there was another bomb the there from another player. Super um, mm-hmm. was yeah. it to- who, who was it? Tony Finau? No, another no, player. Uh, no, no, Vegas. Jonathan Johnny Vegas, Vegas yeah. that's right. Johnny Vegas hit a ribbing putt there. Um, but they're not. They're just sort of by the by. Yeah. Rory McIlroy shot on the fifteenth, which set up a birdie that you know came after a bogey on the fourteenth when he was wobbling a little bit, and it set him up for the way he finished. Yeah. And then he said, "I played five bold shots to finish on 16, 17, and eighteen. That all the things to get him to the greens on those five, three holes yeah. uh, were awesome. And uh, that's the shot that did it for me. It was only to about fifteen feet, but it was from the situation." That was made it so memorable. Did you watch enough of it to have one? Uh, not an awful lot of it. I saw a little bit. I would have liked to have seen, I think. I wasn't sure when Furyk had a shot on number 18. I think there was on Saturday where he was standing on the, the logs. I would have liked to have seen him have a crack. <laughs> Play that it shot. Instead, instead, <laughs> now, that would have been iconic to see him have that shot and then fall in the water because yep. you all see all those things on YouTube. That would have been cool to see. <laughs> would have been. <laughs> was, I'll, was I'll throw a comical one in, but I was, I was watching a little bit of stuff over Twitter over the weekend and I, I couldn't stop laughing at Kevin Nas almost catching the ball before it on the, on the on the seventeenth, and then Tiger's humour. Who would have thought Tiger had a bit of humour to him? But I, I thought that was a, that was hilarious. And again, I've got to, I'll, go, I'll go back to the fan engagement perspective. But um, you know, you could just hear the the roars of laughter all all around. So we'll get to there's some fan engagement stuff from it's more a TV perspective than um, you know the on course experience that I'm really going to talk to you to Dave about, and that come from that came from John Rahm and his caddy. We'll get to that in a moment before you're too far away from Rory. I know what you probably didn't see this bit, and I wonder whether it jerried for either of you two if you're watching this moment, but he makes his three on 17, and he's obviously been close. He, he hasn't been winning lately, but this year particularly he's been putting himself in the frame, and it's been a bit of a source of conversation about where he sits and has he kind of lost the art of closing you know, tournaments out, and is he going to be the player that you know we kind of history preordained he was going to be? He He – and I'm probably reading too much into this, which I'm prone to do, Dave, from time to time. But he made his three on 17, and he was away on 18. Now, water down left, tough tee shot, easy yeah, to you know sure sort of lose it right. Or, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he just got up. He pegged it. He, he didn't have a word to his caddy, no looking at books, no second thoughts. He just pegged it up, didn't even stand behind the ball, still alongside it, got in the address position and crunched it 340 mm. 
it was noticeable to me anyway, and I'm, when we get Rory on the show next week, I'll ask him about this. <laughs> but he just – it was like, I'm not going to take any time on this. So I'm just – I'm not going to let any second thoughts get into my mind. I know what I've got to do. I know I can do it. I'm just going to go and do it. And it was the – it was kind of the um, – you said bold, and you wanted to hit five mm. bold shots. It was the kind of boldness of his um, decision to just put it down and hit it that stepped away from the modern game a bit where there's so much time spent dwelling over shots. Yeah, for sure. I watched it because I did notice that uh, he was almost ready to pull the trigger when Jason Day arrived at the back of the tee. So it was quite obvious to me that he was ready to go when the time came and he wasn't, there's was no extra talk. He didn't need to talk. Yep. The st- shots are right in front of him. Go ahead and hit it. So is that a bit of a statement? Is that a, is that a personal statement to him? He's not to anyone else but to himself? Well, you can tell from his mindset that he's just ready to go. Yeah. He's, he's got the ball moving where he wants it to go. He's, he's hit the shot on 15. He's hit the shot on 16. I saw, saw he hit the shot in there. And then 17, I wasn't sure how far it carried on to the green. It didn't look like it carried on a long way, but then he uh-huh. hit two good putts there. And then he just, I'm ready to go. Go up there and execute. Yeah. I so for it. the for the average punter at home that has about you know a dozen waggles and you know a few you know left right left right left right with your feet, have you got a tip for people back at home? For every, and I I was talking with someone 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 about this when I was in Tucson just a week or so ago that for every five or ten seconds that you have waiting to hit a shot or taking over the ball to hit a shot waggling or whatever you're doing, that the picture that you have of the shot that you want to hit disappears. So the whole idea, the faster you can get in it, in there and actually hit the shot, if you're ready, is to go and do it because the picture is clearer and you're ready to go. Mm. So it'll be closer to the picture that you see the result that you get. Mm. Love that. There we go. That's right up your alley. So up my alley. That's right up your alley. <laughs> get in um, and hit it. So I just love listening to Rory afterwards. and I've, I've dug up some stats and stuff here, Andy, about his mental side of things. But I, I love that he said, I want to hit bold shots. Mm. He ripped one over the trees with with his natural tiny fade on 16 and just ran out of fairway. Had a flyer lie in, hit a nine iron. Actually, I think he hit an eight iron, a little bit softer, just to try and control the flyer lie that he said and put it to 10 feet, just missed the eagle putt. Mm. But that's two pure shots. The one on the 17 was, he said it was two yards short of where he was trying to get it to the crest of that hill and let it trickle down. So we missed by two yards, but, you know, two yards. And then the shot on 18, which the, the approach is a, Probably a huge miss, I reckon, Dave, Joe. But the one that finishes left of the pin, closer on the water side, when you've got a small lead in the <laughs> tournament on the 72nd hole, is probably not where you're aiming. Yeah, I saw, saw where the pin was, and I can guarantee that he wasn't attempting that. <laughs> <laughs> So when the ball's in flight, because you would have been in that position you know, on, on occasions, when you've hit that shot, and would there have been a fleeting moment where he thought, oh, no. Maybe, but more often than not, you can you'll feel it off the club, and you and as soon as you feel the shot off the club, yep. and then he'll, he would have felt, but feels good, and then he looks up, and if it's going left of the pin, he's like, well, I'm hoping it doesn't draw as much as it feels like I've just hit it. <laughs> but generally speaking, you know when as soon as you've made contact with it that you've hit a good shot. Number one, and then two, as soon as you see the flight in relation to the pin, you know whether it's going to be okay or okay, not. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But to what you said, he could have stu- he could have stood in that fairway, armed an art, and hit a cut, held it up against yep. the breeze. He said, "I want to hit a draw. I want to be bold." That's true. And did he instead of aiming it at the right side of the green, it's probably one third of the way across the green. Mm. So, you know, he's missed his target by a few metres, but he's hit the shot he wanted to hit, if that's possible. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I just think it's great. And, and look, there's been a bit of banter on Twitter, Andy, this week about um, media jumping to conclusions about people. So we could, for example, pot Jordan Spieth here and say he's finished. You know, yeah. he's not going to be the person he was. Um, you know, it, Justin Thomas, is he gone? Is he ever going to do it? And you can see all this stuff regularly on Twitter and – Rory McIlroy's been that person too. Um, his record this year in the USPJ events, USPJ Tour, fourth, fifth, fourth, second, sixth, first. Yeah, it's remarkable. That's, it was time. that's a career year for most people. <laughs> well, it, each of those results mean you're in contention every single week. And that's, as a player, that's all you really want to do is be in contention. I probably don't do that as often as uh, <laughs> does. But, um, but generally speaking, any time you finish within maybe – three to four shots of the guy who wins, 
you're in contention. Yep. If you can turn something around a little bit and make it make one or two putts, put some pressure on somebody else, it changes the whole way of everything works. So the knock was that's his, that was his tenth final pairing before he broke through for a win. So mm-hmm. the previous nine times he's been in the final group on a Sunday afternoon, he hasn't got the chocolate. So that's the knock on him. To what Dave was just saying, at least he's there. Um, he actually spoke in his press conference afterwards. I, I love Rory, by the yeah, way. So yeah. that, hence, oh, well. having done this little yeah. bit of research here, he has gone into his press conference and talked about how I've improved as a person in 10 years. 10 years ago, he went to his first players championship, got himself in trouble in a bar in Jacksonville for drinking underage because he was still 19. So he's come a long way. Is we was the, the gist of what he was trying to say. You know, he was 19 drinking in, yeah. in bars and got kicked out. He missed the cut, mm. went drinking, got in trouble with the cops. Um, so he's come back and, and, and done this. He has, he, that was the year, Andy, that he made, his top 10 appearance in the world rankings for the first time later that year on the back of eight out of nine top 10 finishes in a row at the end of the year. And it was at the Dubai Classic that he got into the top 10 for the first time when he finished third. He's fallen out of the top 10 at the start of the tournament twice in his career. Yeah, it's remarkable. Twice since then. The first time up, he, I'm going to get this right, in May 2014, he finished sixth at the Players' Championship and the week after won the European PGA Championship. Second time he did it was the March last year, and the next event up he won at Arnold Palmer. So don't I don't want to hear anyone saying that he hasn't got the mental fortitude to knuckle down yeah. and get it done when the heat's on. So yeah. he's he's copped a lot of crap on those occasions. Oh, you're a wasted talent, you're this, that, the other. Bang. Straight so, back with a win in the next tournament. That, Love it. That's a re- I mean, that's that's a really good point. To And I... I I'll say what I think about him in a moment. We'll have a chat. But the fact that he hasn't won a major since 2014, is that – you talk about the waste of talent and we're talking about the expectations that we put on him because he is so extremely gifted and did so much at an early age. And he's done done things that no one's done prior Mm. or not many have done before the age of 30 in the history of the game in America and around the world. Is it unfair – to, to, to knock him for not having won a major since 2014? You've played against the best players in the world. It, it, for the, the margin between winning and losing, or losing by one shot over 72 holes after hitting 260 shots, mm. is kind of small. And, <laughs> and for someone, and that if, and for especially majors, if you're not on your game, you're not going to win a major anyway. Um, sometimes guys fall into it uh, when you wouldn't expect it, uh, but sometimes you've got to go out and do it. And, you never know. I've played some great rounds and not won, and then mm. been in the lead and played poorly and won. So yeah. you never know how it's going to happen, whether someone's going to push you or someone doesn't. I just think we've got to be super careful of potting people. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, I mean, it, it's easy to look for a story as a, as a journo and, and hang your hat on. Let's go with Jordan Spieth right now. Oh, he's done X, Y, and Z. His putting stats are up the creek, whatever. He could win next week and everyone looks stupid and it's just a tiny little blip in a really, you know, generally progressive line. You know, I think um, you need a far bigger sample size than what Rory's given us and what Speed's just started into to start knocking blokes. So we're having a chat, might have been the last time I was here, about the best player in the world, just the most, the best golfer in the world. Uh, Forget about world rankings and just forget, forget about data, just who you, to the, to your eye and to the way you want golf to be played, who is the best player on the planet? Is he, for me, it's, I think we said this at the time, for me, it is him. Like he is just, he plays the game the right way. It depends on how you look at, how you want a player to play the game though. At the same time, you look at Tiger Woods when he was dominating golf, um, it was kind of boring watching him in my personal view because he just beat everybody so well, so easily. Yep. Um, I like a bit of the theatrics that goes on with Rory when he makes a double bogey. What was it on the fourth or fourth. the fifth hole or something? And then shows that he'd come back and do that sort of thing. So I like seeing that sort of thing. So like at, right now, I love watching him play. Dustin Johnson, I love watching him play too. They both do it totally different ways. So though. can I just on that? Because he was the reason we we're having this chat about Dustin Johnson. In terms of natural golf, and I don't know whether this can be measured or not, whether this is just a gut feel that has no sort of – it's just an opinion. But to your to, – to the other three, you three, is Rory just infinite – not infinitely, but significantly more naturally talented at the game of golf than Dustin is? 
Because yeah. I think he is. I think he can. I think his range of shot making is much greater than Dustin Johnson's, and yet some people would challenge that. I suppose Dusty probably looks a little bit more unconventional. Like he's got he's got his way of doing things. He and they they're both big hitters, but technically he looks a little bit more unconventional. Rory probably looks a little bit more poetic. So yeah, yeah. maybe you could, yeah, you could that's sort of get what, I guess that's you get lost come... in, in that a little bit. Um, oh, I don't know how you pick any of those top players. I don't know. And then you throw in let, let's if we flipped it onto the women's side of things and we go into our own backyard. You look at someone like Minji, who had top. I think she had top ten. 13 times last year, and you look at those sort of sort of performances, naturally talented, uh, hard worker, um, sort of almost technically explicit, just perfect. Yeah. So you, you, you could, you could, I suppose selection is always, they're so multifaceted mm. as to how do you select it, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a gut, yeah, yeah. it's a stupid gut is, feel, yeah. you know. It depends on what you're talking talent too, because you look at someone like Jim Furyk, who at 48 years old got within a shot, now he doesn't in any way fit the boat for talent in that way, but um, his talent and a lot of other guys' talent, this is where I find it too, is finding a way to manage your game around a mm. golf course. Mm. Mm. Um, so Rory, if you're talking pure physical gifts, I'd probably give it to Rory. But then again, Dustin Johnson with a golf swing that I don't think is super technically correct does some mm-hmm. fantastic things with the golf ball as well. So then does that make him more talented because he's doing something with not as technical that's not as technically correct. Does that make mm. him more talented than, say, Rory? You could you could yeah. mount that argument if you wanted to, I suppose. Have uh, you got one? Uh, I, uh, to watch poetically, as Joe says, to me it'd be Rory or Justin Rose. Yep. Mm. Um, I reckon as a natural in inverted commas, I reckon it's Dustin Johnson because I, I don't reckon you teach that. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's such a different look to everyone else out there. Yeah. I don't think it's the best to look at, but I think as a natural it's – that's pretty impressive. Um, I don't know what else you want. To, Jim Furyk's a fascinating story in all of this. I mean, uh, out of the field, last bloke in, incredible. Is he? Obviously, he's got the advantage of living there, so he knows the course probably better than you know, anybody else. Yep. Um, but is he is he able to do that? A because he's a great golfer, like he knows how to play. But his equipment, the reason that Furyk is still able to compete. With these guys? Um, well, you'd have to say a little bit, but for sh- sure the way that he has learned over a period of time how to manage his game, and he's always been like that because his technique is not why he's as good as what he is. The fact that he knows what shot to hit at what time, what he can do, what he yep. can't do. Yep. And he even said, I think, that he was more gr- aggressive this week than quite often he usually is because he has to be. He's hitting probably one to two, maybe even three clubs more into a green than a lot of these other guys because he, they hit it so much further than him. But the ball doesn't go crooked anymore, in my opinion, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. for golf pros at least. Uh, so it makes the game a whole lot easier in that regard um, to be able to be a little bit more aggressive. And, and his use of, around that course, his use of hybrids and it's, he just seems to, whatever, um, however he's being shortchanged in the distance game, he's can clearly control clubs that allow him to play get the ball airborne and play the sorts of shots where, you know, things can get over challenges and, you know, hazards and bunkers and whatever and stop quickly. He's sure. got he's got that part of his golf bag under control. And that's what it does, though. The hybrids now shoot the ball up into the air. He, he may – I'm not sure. I play in the Champions Tour, so I see a lot of guys carrying hybrids around. <laughs> um, but the, the hybrid shoots the ball up in the air for you that – Predominantly now, uh, a long iron won't do that anymore mm. because of the different lofts and technology and that that they use now. Um, you find that if you don't have a lot of club speed, you need to use a hybrid to get the ball in the air. So that would be something that I'd said to the even average golfers that get rid of your four iron, mm. maybe even your five iron, and put a hybrid in the bag because it makes it easier to hit the ball shoots in the air for well, you. Well, that's, that's it's true for women. women's game. Yeah, it's I, changed the women's game. Uh, when I was playing, uh, when I was playing, <laughs> Keyword. Uh, I had a I had a four iron and and a couple of hybrids, but my four hybrid and my four iron would basically do the same thing, but the flight was completely different. So my four iron, I love playing that sort of in windy conditions because I could control it more. But if I had to get that extra little bit of carry, and it, it was really marginal because yep. we just don't swing it as as fast and as hard as men, uh, that could it could um, have that advantage in sort of calmer conditions. 
So yeah, definitely. So what does your what's your bag look like now? Well, uh, I've only got one hybrid just because I hit hybrids crooked, right. <laughs> so <laughs> so I can't get them going straight. I hook them. Uh, same as I can't hit a five wood, I hook that or I thin it all the time. So I can't carry them. So I've got a two hybrid yep. and then three iron down to my lob wedge. Okay. So I, I cannot so old hybrids. School. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> well, so are the boys you're playing against these days, which. Yeah, they are. Although I do feel like I'm one of the younger guys again yeah. when I get out there with those guys. We'll get to that in a moment. Just before we get off the players, um, the two front lines from an Australian perspective, Real positives um, from Day and Scott, particularly Day coming off the back injury the previous week. I mean, his bounce back was pretty remarkable, really. It, it was, and he finished in a tie for eighth at 12 under, not far out of the mix. And really, he was in the mix until Rory played those bold shots. Mm. So, you know, he was he was in it midway through the back nine. So as Dave says, you get there, and we've heard Adam Scott say that before, you just get there. Throw your name into the into the mix and see what happens. It didn't come up his way, but a tie for eighth there is a pretty yeah. good result against a great field. Um, he uh, his second consecutive top ten and third in four years at the players, including his twenty sixteen win. And Adam Scott's got some some interesting numbers there too. Um, I don't know. He's had four under par rounds for his eighth consecutive made cut at that tournament. Uh, his last four finishes: t twelve, t six, t eleven, and t twelve. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it is a if it's a horses for courses as you were saying before, those two those two like that track. So um, not so good for Aaron Baddeley, missed the cut at four over. Cameron Smith sort of didn't really have it going one way or the no. other and, and finished a fairly nondescript T fifty six at two under. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, a, a pretty fair week. Uh, Mark Leishman, of course, missed the cut oh, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else before we get the first break out of the way and spend a bit more time talking about our special guest and what he's up to at the moment? Well, did you want to talk more about Ram? Well, you know, we can do that with – Oregon. why don't we do that with Dave on the other side of the break because the caddy-player relationship is one that I think um, that can feed into. So um, and we can kind of make that part of that broader chat then, I reckon. So, one last thing then yeah. on, on McElroy. I'm going to set people on very – this is unusual podcasting, Andy, to leave open-ended questions. I we might it. resolve it like next week. There's 23 people who have been number one since the official world rankings started in the middle of 1986, right? Yeah. I'm going to test, test. Don't look them up, everyone listening to this. See how many of the 23 you can get before we reconvene next week, and I'll give you the answers. Oh, that's. No, but hang yeah. on. This is why I'm doing it. Rory, who's, I'm going to say, he's one back-ish. of the 23. Yeah. He's one of the 23. Yeah. He's number four. I'm going to give a couple away here, but he's now within two of Nick Feldo being the third most capped player, for want of a better yeah, word. In number, terms of the longest time in the position. Most weeks yeah. at number one. Okay. So I reckon he'll get past Nick Feldo at some point this year would be my tip. How about that? Okay. So there's two of the 23, so we're going to get 21 others. Yeah. yeah okay. So, can you set homework in podcasts? Yeah, you can, but people will cheat. People are going <laughs> to cheat. I know, I'd be cheating. Straight to your favourite. I'm Google right now. Straight to exactly. You've done it already. <laughs> I'm going to give one more name out of the 23 then, because I reckon we're going to talk about him a lot in the next segment. And that's the second last one. He's only held the number one ranking for three weeks. But I reckon Dave McKenzie can give us a real good tip and insight into Bernhard Langer. Yeah, well, we'll do that. Happy to do my best. We'll do that on the other side of this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. David McKenzie, our special guest. Let's talk about where he's at with his career on the other side of this. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. David McKenzie, our special guest. Um, Enjoying life on the Champions Tour. It's your 51 years. 51 so far. So you're a spring chicken up there with the old boys. Yep. Um, how does it how does it feel? What's it what's it like? Uh, it feels like it's a second chance at life almost. Um, it's definitely not as hard as playing with the young guys. The competition is still fierce, but it's um, guys are way more easy going. Yeah, way more easy going. As blokes or as golfers? 
uh, a little bit of both. Basically, I, the way that I see it is that the guys have realized, you know what, I'm not going to win any more majors. Uh, I've had my career being the best player that I possibly can. I'm just going to go out and enjoy playing with the guys that I know, but still at the same time I want to try and win, and they still know how to play, but it's not anywhere near as fierce um, mm. and as intimidating as what it definitely was when I was younger. How how would you not not your USPGA Tour career, but how would you describe your Australian, which is ongoing by the way, your Australian PGA Tour career? Uh, probably I would describe it as pretty uneventful. Um, <laughs> I've played for a long time, I've had status for a long time, but pretty much um, I didn't do enormous things in Australia. It wasn't it was never really my priority either. Um, I always wanted to get onto the PGA Tour in America and make a living over there, and so. Australia just tended to be somewhere that I would would come back and play because, well, obviously I live in Australia, I'm Australian, and I love playing in Australian conditions and on Australian golf courses. Um, I wasn't anyone that was going to draw a crowd. I understood that. I was never uh, never under any illusions on where I stood and where I do stand still in relation to Australian golf. Was I, there one that – was there a miss? Was there one that got away from you that you sort of look back on now and think, yeah, that was the chance to – Probably the only one, realistically speaking, was I was leading the Australian Masters, and I want to say when I lost in a playoff, and I'm thinking '99. I yeah. think I think I played with Shark on the Saturday, and then um, no, that, that's not the year. Sorry, it was I was actually did lose in a playoff. Um, Brad Hughes double bogeyed 18 to jump out of it, and I yep. made birdie to get into a playoff with Greg Chalmers and Richard Green, and Richard Green ended up winning. So I think that was maybe 2004, or yep. 2005 maybe. Um, that was one where I sort of thought I'd led going into the last day. I didn't have it at all, but um, I would have liked to have won that one. That was one that I thought that it, the biggest chance. Could have yeah. Won, have. yeah. So, so you mentioned Norman. Did, yep. How often did you play with him in Australia? I only ever played with him once, and that was that one, that one, uh, one week at the Masters. That was the year that Craig Spence won. So was it on the Saturday or the Sunday that you played? It was on the Saturday, uh, and I was kind of excited because I was, I'd finished early, uh, I think five under, and he finished late on four under, or he finished late at five, I finished early at four, and so I was pretty happy to be paired with him in that regard. Um, and we had a bit of fun that day. Well, I had some fun with him that day anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, can you remember the experience vividly? I mean, he he was he was beyond the game. Like he was bigger than than golf at the time. And yeah, he's a little bit beyond it then, a little bit. But um, but at the same time, I remember going to the locker room and thought, you know what, I want to introduce myself to him before I get out on the first tee because I, I know I'm going to be nervous. I know there's going to be a heap of people around. And um, when I went into the locker room, he was tying his shoelaces up, and I sort of said, Greg. And he stopped doing his shoelaces up, but actually didn't look up, right. which I thought was kind of strange. And then, uh, and then I kept going and said, "Dave McKenzie, we're we're playing golf today." And sort of, then he looked up and shook my hand and said, "Nice to meet you, and let's we'll have some fun today." Stuff. So I thought, was he actually playing games with me at that oh, point in time? That sounds I'm, so I'm intimidating. I wasn't there, and I've still got. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> so what was he like out? Was he was he kind of generous out on the course? Was he was he up for chatting between? Uh, uh, whether he was up or not, I was up for a chat. And so once I started talking to him, then it was pretty hard not to answer some of the things. But my grandmother used to make me sandwiches whenever I went to the masters. She'd come out there, and so on the the Friday night, she took my order and. Um, always used to be chicken and avocado sandwiches. So I said, why don't you make an extra one for Greg for me? And so she made an extra one. So we're walking down the seventh hole, the par five, and sort of I just started getting rid of the nerves and that sort of thing. And uh, I said, Greg, uh, you want a sandwich? <laughs> How good is this? And he's, uh, he's like, well, no, I'm all right. Thanks, David. And I said, well, look, I just wanted to let you know, my grandmother made one specially for you. So I ju- <laughs> just wanted to let you know. And... Uh, and he was like, and he smiled and laughed. And he says, look, thank you, grandmother, but I'm, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> didn't want a, oh, he rejected. Didn't, didn't want a nana singer. He did, didn't oh, want a grandmother sandwich. What a loser. Shark. He's done some silly things recently. <laughs> like, but that's right up there with him, I reckon. What's he doing? Well, and, and then there's another one. I was thinking we were walking down the third hole, and it was we were talking, and it was just like a fishbowl because the crowds were so deep. And there's this little kid. We're walking down just off the tee, and this little kid goes, Shark. And Greg just, eyes straight ahead, keeps walking, goes, shark. Greg's like straight ahead. And then the kid goes, 
shark. <laughs> so Greg looks over and waves to the kid as he walks by, but the kid was not going to let him go by with that actually anything being said. That's hilarious. Uh, that's awesome. So you, so you made it. To, you got you achieved your dream not only to play with shark, but you made it up to the US PGA Tour. Yeah, that was pretty cool because the in two thousand and four. I was uh, in the top 20 at the time. I was 20th going to the season-ending event and uh, got bumped out of the top 20. Uh, then went, so that was pretty disappointing. Then went back to Q School in California and missed my card by a shot. Um, I had a putt on the last hole and uh, it rimmed the hole. And Dale Lynch, my coach, was up at the back of the green. He was there that week and he's like, are you effing kidding me when it missed because he knew the scores mm. and uh and so i thought well, that's not going to be a good thing for me so um i missed there is it is it true that you missed a couple of things by a shot at this or a dollar or a point at the same time well not quite that one it would have been close but then the next year i got my car but in 2007 the same thing happened um after i lost my pj2 card in 2006 2007 i was 23rd going into the season ending event and finished maybe 16th or 19th or something or other which wasn't a terrible week Again, got bumped out um, of the top 25. I think Bubba Watson was the guy that got oh, in. Oh, the that dirty dog. Possibly. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and went to really Q School again and missed by shot again that year. Uh, how can you – I'm not sure how to phrase this question, but is it – it's obviously next level and it's aspirational and, and you know most players want to find them, find, like you did, find yourself on that tour. When you're on it, is it is it exceptional in every – in every on, on every kind of measurement, you're not playing exceptional golf courses every week. No, but in terms of the way you get looked after, and you know, is that is that unbelievable? Most definitely, and the the uh, the the fact that the fans actually know who I was, and you would you arrive at every tournament, and it's just an uh, I say an ordeal, but it's just an adventure getting from the locker room to the range without signing fifty signatures on your way there, and that's for me. So I can't imagine someone like Tiger or Jordan or um, Rory or those guys getting to the just to the range, um, and then like you said, they look after you so well. You you get your car every week. Um, all the guy well, I didn't fly, fly privately, but um, all the 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 cars that your private plane there. You pick it up, then you drop it back at your private plane. All you'd have to do is give your tail number to. So they look after you immeasurably well. So once you've had that, and then. You haven't got it anymore. Is it? Are you happy that you've had a taste and you've got to experience life at that level, or does it? You become so addicted to it that without it, you kind of feel unfulfilled. Uh, well, a little bit. You because well, I've, my idea was always obviously I'm a professional golfer, so I'm playing for money. But my idea was like I want to play against the best. Mm. I want to test myself against the best. Um, I didn't. Go to Japan ever. I haven't never been to Japan. I, I went to Europe one or two times, but the whole idea behind everything that I did was to be ready to go to Q school or to get into America to be the most prepared over over there. So everything that I did was purely about getting onto the PGA Tour. You know, this is, again, one of those things that you say without any basis of um, evidence, knowledge uh, or anything. But I would have thought, having watched you play a lot of golf, mm. I would have thought that you would have been absolutely tailor-made to life on the European tour. Have you ever thought about, you know, not did you pull the wrong rein, but if you had your time over again, would you have, you know, maybe thought about it a bit more? Maybe. I went to Q school there maybe once in maybe 97, got a little bit of status, but not enough to get really any golf. And then I think in 2011, I went to Q school there again, missed my card by a shot. So I played over there a little bit. Um, And I loved Europe and maybe I would have done it, but at the same time, I yeah. want to play against the best. The best are all in America. Yeah. And if you want to test yourself as much as you possibly can, play in America. Yeah. Fascinating. Because Dave's carted me around a couple of pro-ams off his own back, <laughs> carried this lumber for a frame around me, Andy. So <laughs> I agree because we'd be playing on courses where, you know, I'm not saying they're European tour courses, but they're more affected by bounce and wind mm. and run mm. as opposed to the, you know, some of the North American ones. So. Mm. It does strike me that that's a, a reasonable question to ask, I reckon, because yeah. your game, your, your game's not pound it. Your game, no, your game not. is you know make a score. But my game took a great leap when they changed uh, and when they went to the Pro V One because I always spun the ball too much with my golf swing. Um, but as soon as that Pro V One came out, 
that's pretty much coincided with me getting status on the web.com in America and keeping status either on the web or on the PJ Tour right the way through for wow. those like 10 or 11 years or whatever it was that I was over there. That's um, fascinating. Yeah, that ball helped me massively. Yeah, right. That's fascinating. I remember I remember doing an interview with you. I can't I can't remember what tournament it was whether it was up at Coolum it might have been a calling for the PGA. Okay, you, you may not. You may remember when, it. Might have even been the Australian Open at the Australian, I reckon. Mm-hmm. But you had a grass allergy that was bugging you for a while. Do you remember that? It, it wasn't actually a grass allergy. It was an allergy to wheat. To wheat. So right, what, okay. or one of the proteins in wheat, um, which is gluten. Um, so I had an allergy to that. That I found that it wasn't the grass. It was that whenever I ate a sandwich when I was on the golf course. Oh, um, right. And it was Nana. Exactly, but it was uh, what was it called? Wheat dependent, exercise induced anaphylaxis. So that was Holy the God. first stages of me going into anaphylaxis with the the, the with the the um. So was the that the first arm. time that happened to you? Or? It had it had been a I'd had it a couple of times before, but it was always on a golf course, and I'd I'd learnt to take antihistamines with me. Wow! Um, but it wasn't until 2014 that I. Gone out for a pizza and a couple of beers, and we were walking home. That I, in Carlton, there that I didn't uh, that I didn't have any antihistamines, and uh, ended up by the time I got home, I passed out and ended up having to call the ambulance and go to hospital. Jeez, was the wheat in the beer and the pizza? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So wow. that's it. so you now just have so to I just don't your eat anything yeah, with uh, with uh, what is it? Wheat, rye, or barley. Yeah. What if Nana had cut down the shark? <laughs> Well, <laughs> wheat, rye, and barley. There goes just about everything I like eating. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I drinking. Found it tough. Absolutely, be massive trouble. But I can say that uh, <laughs> that the rye and the barley that's in uh, in uh, in whiskeys, yep. I'm good with. So I'm okay for my scotches and things. Dave, I've got no idea of your financials financial situation through the Australian tour in your earlier time, but um, your last three years have yeah. been fairly productive. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's there for everyone to see since you turned 50, um, just on the, on the, on the website there, you've made, this is it. And congratulations on this, by the way, 34 cuts without missing, 34 tournaments without missing a cut. That's pretty good when there are no cuts. Yeah. No, but like you've they're all been really good checks. Gen- well, generally I should speaking, say that, yeah, sorry. generally they, they have been, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I had a look at it myself and I think in the last, since I turned 50, so what I'm about like 18 months in, we'll say, uh, I've won as much as I won on the Australian tour and the PGA tour combined. I'm, I'm just on the border of, of doubling Go. my income in God, America that's in those 18 months. So, sorry, your entire time in Australia and the US. Yeah. Over your whole career? Maybe, well, no, maybe not Australia, but I, I remember on the web.com and the PGA Tour, I think I won maybe 1.2 million or something, or 1.4 million, somewhere yeah. around there. Um, and I think I'm not far from getting to that now on my 18 months from the Champions <laughs> Tour. <laughs> Is that, uh, that's uh, awesome. Well, I, like, I think it's fantastic. I, I don't know the numbers here, Andy, are of any interest to you. This is this year's stats on the Charles Schwab Cup, yeah. the money list. And Dave... Uh, currently, I think in only four events has eighty-seven thousand US dollars to his to his name. So it's his shout after the show. My word, it is. <laughs> um, but but like, it's an important it's it's important to you, isn't it? Like it's for me, definitely. Yeah. Um, I was uh, what, just before I turned fifty, I was looking at what else I could do, mm-hmm. um, whether it be coaching somewhere or whether I wanted to sell real estate. Um, so I was one hundred percent looking for other things to do if, um. If I couldn't play golf anymore, um, I, and at the time I didn't even know if when I turned 50 that I would be able to compete over anyway. I wasn't doing super well in Australia. I was just keeping my card, but that doesn't make you a living. So mm. I was really not really sure how it was going to go over there. So it, in the first like five or six events that I played on the Champions Tour, it blew my mind. So, <laughs> so the reason for me, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because – you know, you're not Greg Norman. You didn't have this unbelievable resume that allows you to walk into any of these Champions Tour starts. You had to yep. scratch and crawl to get a start, don't you? After you get uh, in, it's probably not hard. Not well, to start with, it was pretty cool the for the way that I got status on the Champions Tour because I, I went over for the British Open qualifying when I was 49. 
Um, I played a couple of little mini tour events to warm it up and played okay there, then qualified comfortably to get into the, my first British Open. Then I think partway through the second round, I was leading at Royal Porthcawl. Um, I ended up finishing ninth. That didn't get me anything on the Champions Tour though. So I came home. Um, I ended up going to Fiji, finished second in a tie for Fiji that, that time. Hopped on a plane on the Sunday night, flew straight to Seattle. Um, went and did the qualifying. They do it on a Tuesday over there because the guys don't automatically get in the next week. So they'll they'll do the practice round on Monday and the qualifying's on a Tuesday. So I did the qualifying. I think I played the last three holes in two under par to get into a playoff. Won the playoff. And I was leading after the first round, the Boeing Classic. So I thought, well, maybe I am going to go okay. But uh, I fell away there, missed the next qualifying. The next one I got into, I... Uh, I just fell into getting into a playoff again, got through in the playoff and, uh, and finished third, mm. which got me into the next week at Pebble Beach. And so I basically had decided that I was coming home after Pebble Beach because I was just to test and see if it's worth me going to Q school and wasting my time going to another Q school. So because I'd had that third, I did, I finished 20th or something at Pebble Beach. All of a sudden that was, had enough money to get me into the first of their playoff events. So I thought, why not stay for an extra couple of weeks? I'll try and do the Monday qualifying at the, the SAS Championship. It was at the time. So I did the qualifying. I birdied the second to last hole and get into a playoff again, shooting three under. <laughs> um, it's a three-man, four-man playoff. Um, somehow I scraped through and get through that playoff again in three playoff holes and then finished fifth in the tournament. Wow. Um, so that gets me into the first playoff event, and I think I finished 18th. And I finished number 54 on the money list. Now, the top 54 keep you status for the next year or get some sort of status for the next year. And so that's, and I, so then I parlayed those, those events again in the top 54. And then last year played all but one event, I think that I really could have, could have got it, could have got into. Yeah. That's so, awesome. For someone that says that his career wasn't very eventful, yeah. <laughs> that little last three minute rap was very eventful and. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It's a, it's a remarkable <laughs> thing. I mean, th- th- what this tour provides to players who might otherwise, like you say, feel like they've got to the end of the road, mm. but clearly you haven't, not, not with the sort of money and the opportunity that this presents. For sure, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, well, the way that it goes is that the tour is made up over there. F- the only reason it's successful is because of Freddie Couples and all the guys that everyone's heard of yeah. are playing the tournaments. But after talking with some of the guys on the policy board, what happens is, is they actually like the look of it, that they've got guys that they've never heard of before. Absolutely. But all of a sudden, they're up on these leaderboards challenging and playing against, playing against Fred Couples and whoever it is when, where's this guy been all, all, the, yeah. Mm. Yeah. all the life? So yeah. um, that's mix. the way they like doing They like always having a couple of Monday qualifiers and a couple of spots for guys who no one's ever heard of. So... We spent a bit of time talking about this tour because some <laughs> things happen on this tour that you wonder whether the yep. authority should be allowing to have happen. Yep. The bloke at the top of Lang yep. is a freak. Like yep. he's a freak. We understand that. But Brilliant he's, athlete. He's awesome. Like yep. his record is phenomenal. He sits on top of the you know money order. Yep. There's a bloke in the top ten, he's like number five, Scott McCarran, who does yep. some things that we look at from time to time. I know what we're talking about here then. So <laughs> is it you talk about it being a bit more relaxed to play these tournaments? Is it a bit more relaxed full stop? No. Well, the rules aren't, definitely, because I got pulled up on a rule the first week there for a drop. But when you're talking about with Scott, I watched that sort of thing. Um, And the the hardest thing with it is that when they're on the putting green and practicing, they're fixing their arm to their chest when they're practicing. But the trouble is, though, is that when you actually – watch them and you play them, play with them in tournament rounds, you can't really tell because I watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. in the end, it's in, in the end after two or three holes, it's like, David, stop doing it and just go ahead and play. Yeah, right. So if you worry too much about it at the time, it'll do your head in. Mm. But you're 100% right. It doesn't look good. No. No, it doesn't. And we've had this conversation and you probably, you probably have to do – you have to kind of train yourself, I imagine – as away. a competitor, to not let it get inside your head. Yeah, because it, it's not going to help you play any better. Um, I've got to do the best that I can, and and whether he's doing something that is in a grey area, yeah. I can't control yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just away from the rules, 
can you talk to us about Bernard Langer and how, just how good he is? I mean, he's this is a freak show he's putting on now. He's getting into Hale Irwin territory. That's remarkable. Yeah, well, he's. I think didn't he just? He's won more money than Hale, or he's won. Must be close now. It's one of the two. I don't think he's won as many times as Hale, but I think he's won as much money over career-wise on the Champions Tour as Hale. Um, but yeah, look, he doesn't. He works as hard as anyone. Like mm. I used to. The, the first tournament that I played on the Champions Tour at the Senior British Open, there was only two players that I saw in the gym beside me. There's Ian Woosnam, and he came in for some Tiger Balm on his sore back. <laughs> and the other one was um, Langer. was Langer and yeah. myself warming up and getting stretched. So um, that's not the same on the Champions Tour, but he works hard. He has practices. He has practice rounds every week. So on a Tuesday, he's out having a practice round. He only plays one Pro-Am, so he doesn't have to be – on site for the tournament until like whether when his pro am is whether it's Wednesday or Thursday, so but he's there Tuesday has his practice rounds with um with Terry's caddy and he's working as hard as anybody. He must have played those courses ten oh, times because yeah. he's close to sixty now, but he's still having his practice rounds and working out what's going to happen I think on he's the greens. Sixty one. There you go. Yeah, well, I think one of the more amazing yeah. things I've ever seen at Augusta is him and Jason Day playing together, yeah. and going stroke for stroke yeah. and Day being unable to. Shake him. Shake him. Yeah, I think no. that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we better let you go. You gotta go move your car. It's been fascinating <laughs> having you in here. Where, where do you where do you head off to next? Uh, I go off on Monday. I'm off to Biloxi, Mississippi, which is uh, it's not the nicest area of town. It's a, there's a lot of casinos there, but they're not the most high highfalutin casinos. <laughs> right. I can tell you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I've just got the week there, and then um, then home for another couple of weeks. Then another single event on its own in Atlanta, then it heads into major season because we have a big, long major season. We play five majors. Yep. Um, and there are cuts in those events. So it's you really, in all, you're, you're playing all of them? Uh, at the moment, I'm qualified for the British Open, the, uh, what's the other one called? The Regions Tradition, um, the Senior US Players and the... And the PGA, the US PGA. So okay, four so, out of the five. Yep, the US yep. Open is the one that I haven't qualified for okay, yet. Okay, well, let's keep our fingers crossed for you. Or is every chance you're going to be in a playoff to get into it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but you know, the funny thing was I got the US Open last year. I got into a, I got into a player for an alternate spot, you wouldn't, you would believe. And so um, I'm the first alternate from my side. I beat Russ Conker and another guy. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'll just go to Colorado just to have a look around. If I don't get into the tournament, I'll drive around the mountains. Monday morning, sure enough, they call me up. David, John Daly's, John Daly's withdrawn. Would you like to play? Well, there's a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another one too. Yeah. 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 Well, because he drives in a cart all the time. He's got a medical condition, which is, well, we inverted commas, medical condition. That he's, he gets to, he gets to uh, drive a cart around on the courses that are not, that, uh, that you're not allowed to have carts on. Hmm. Well, it's good for him. He can put his... Um, Pepsi and Coke in the in the cup holders that are provided. Which well, is, exactly. You know. Well, I played with he and uh, with Daly and Scott Verplank just recently in Tucson, and it was basically a one ball because they'd just hop in their carts and buzz off down the fairway, oh, and I'd right. just walk down there with yeah. the with the other three caddies because the caddies weren't allowed to be in the car. No, that's not right, is it? Funny no. thing is, a caddy that's got a, a permit too that he's allowed to drive a <laughs> drive a cart around. <laughs> Corey Pavin's caddy, so he gets to drive a cart around. <laughs> I'm like, this is just going a little bit too far. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, mate, thanks for being part of the show. It's been it's great awesome. to have you in here. It's been an awesome chat. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Dave thanks, McKenzie Dave. joining us here on Inside the Ropes. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. We'll get our final break out. we come back and I think we've got some housework we've got to get to on the other side of this. Uh, stick with us. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Dave McKenzie was fantastic. Um, can't believe Greg Norman didn't eat Nan's. Chicken and avocado sandwich. I know. You, you, you should never disappoint Nan in that regard. And yeah. I can't believe they're golf carts out on tour. Oh, I can't believe that was... the caddy. What's the caddy doing <laughs> if he needs a cart? Get another caddy. It's time, Corey. Right, <laughs> uh, time for housekeeping. Um, one thing we didn't, sorry, we, one thing we didn't get to speak to Dave about, and I wanted to, was that John Rahm on the 11th with his caddy. 
we can talk about this as much as you want, but this is where golf has to get to from a TV. I'm now more convinced about this than I ever have been, that golf from a TV perspective needs to give us access to these moments live as they're happening. We need – and it'll happen, it'll happen, maybe it'll happen in – by the time we're pushing up daisies. But at some stage, if the game's still being played, and hopefully it is, uh, we need to have these interactions live. Well, it just adds so much to the drama of the event. Um, I'm, I'm voting on the public record once and for all that we need to have every golfer who signs up to play in a tournament says, we can take your interactions with your caddies live whenever we want. Yeah, marking up players, agreed. So many sports do it already. It's time. You don't even need to mic them up yeah. anymore, Joe. With, well, the, with the kind of the shotgun audio f- equipment now, mm. oh, those guys who are standing 10 feet off them on the fairway, they just point these things. It's crystal clear, mm. the audio mm. you can pick up. So the player doesn't need to be encumbered by any contraptions. I don't have to have any of that stuff. You can just have the audio go with a special kind of, you know, sort of um, device that can pick up this stuff good enough for it to be broadcast. Or you can mic the caddy. Or you can mic the caddy. Yeah, so yeah. there's no problem yeah. at all. And that would be even more interesting. That was, that was <laughs> well, let's talk about it, because a, a lot of people probably don't realise what John Ryan got up to, but was on the, the 11th, 11th yep. at, at the TBC Sawgrass. And, you know, he's played a very adventurous shot from a bunker, trying to draw it, hit it over a tree, over water, over sand, and then onto the green. And his caddies basically come to him and said, I don't like the look of that shot. I think you should lay up to the right. Yeah, just hit it on the flat. You'll be able to, you know, get up and down from there. I'll give you the yardage to get it there. This is a shot you've got to play. And Rams, and you could hear this clear as day. And Rams said, no, 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 the ball, I don't like the feel. The ball's not sitting right. It was in a fairway bunker. And he just sort of wiped him. And as Rams stepped into the pot to play the shot, you could see the caddy. The body language on the caddy was like, okay, no worries. I'll just shrug my shoulders and shake my head and let's see what you do here, champion. And, of course, Ram <laughs> just flays it into the water. And Ram gets out and sort of half throws his club back at the caddy and storms off. And post – and so the, the caddy's clearly right. He's had the win and the player's filthy. And we know that Ram can get headless with the mm-hmm. best of them. Um, and Ram post-round has basically said – Oh, well, I, I had a clear picture in my mind. I knew what I wanted to do, and I was ready to play the shot. And then the caddy, you know, put something else plants in my mind. the seed of doubt in my mind, yep. and that's why I hit the ball in the water. I mean, look, you can argue the merits of either the caddy or the player. That I'm, that's not what I'm all that interested in. But I loved the fact that we got to see it. It, it was mm. just amazing mm. stuff. It was really good to yeah. mm. And fascinating to watch John Rahm just by the by too, just uh, have a horrendous back nine mm. by his standards and not lose his head. And there's some great copy from him too this week, um, how I'm learning to be a better person and the golf will come. He's a good player. Like he's an awesome he's a, player to watch. He's young. He's got so yeah. much time. Yeah, yeah, and that's good to hear him say those sort of things, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, a yeah. bit of reality. Doesn't matter now. It's, just, it's, a, it's a long run. Very true. So the Aussies on tour, Andy, it's only a small version this week with so few tournaments yeah. around the world. But uh, we've already touched on the Aussies at Sawgrass. In the Kenya Open, uh, Nick Cullen finished tied 54th on the European Tour. Uh, Dean Lawson was an incredible incredible story, actually, at the uh, the Karen Country Club, one of your favourites in Nairobi, oh, yeah, Andy. I can't wait to go and play there. Would you believe this? He was six under through 11 holes in his first 18, and then went double bogey, bogey, double bogey, bogey, and ended up, what was he, he was 15? He dropped 15 shots in the subsequent, like, seven holes of, or seven holes of that nine, and the next eight or nine holes, eight, oh, the whole next eight, he yeah, dropped right. another 15 shots. So he missed the cut there, 72-79 after being <laughs> six under through 11, which is an extraordinary turnaround there. I don't mm. know what's happened when you've obviously got it on a string, another chip in for an eagle, so he's just on fire with that, but a missed cut there from the, from the Kalewis youngster. Uh, in the... Uh, on the Symmetra Tour, Steph Nah and Robin Choi both finished tied 23rd. Uh, missed cuts for Su Jin Lee and Jade Panos. And Karis Davidson, inside the rope's very own, another tied 39th up in Japan at the, at the uh, Yokohama Tire PRGR Ladies Cup. Man. That's keep nice up work. my sponsorship. That's very nice work from you there, Hazy. <laughs> the, the, but the one we want to talk about, Andy, was a, is the South African Women's Open. And unfortunately, Amy Walsh missed the cut there as the only sole Australian representative. But there was something more extraordinary. Well, two more extraordinary things happened, yeah. Joe, didn't they? We'll go. You mentioned the word turnaround first up, so we'll go with we'll go with the turnaround of 
maybe history. This is the bit <laughs> of very good talking, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <No. laughs> and I've got to be very careful here because I've actually played a lot of golf with this young girl and she is a, an absolutely delightful young English girl. Uh, recently turned professional, plays most of her golf on the LET access tour, um, but played her first LET event, which was also in Africa. They played in Cape Town, um, the, the, the women, this week or last week. She raised the bat round one. What? 103. We believe, Andy, that it's the highest score in LET history. Jeez. In the 41-year history of the LET, Charlotte Ostwick at 103 might be the, the world record holder. She's good on her for finishing the round. That's, so this, yeah. There's some extraordinary numbers on this card. There's a, there's a couple of nines, a couple of eights, a heap of sixes, 53 out, 50 in. But then, this is where this is when the positivity swings in. Day two... 29 shots better. So we're calling it here. We've got a new club. Yeah. It's called the Auswick Club. <laughs> and it's anyone that makes a turnaround better than 15 shots or more. Righto. They're in the Auswick Club. And I, I believe you might have another candidate. Was that right, Hazy? We do. We've got an instant oh, member. And we, do, we didn't want too many members, but we, we found one straight up um, in honour of Charlotte Auswick's performance. Kiradek Happy Barnrat at the players, Andy, shot 84. I did see that he had a shot yeah. Birdied the first hole and then went on to shoot 84. And then in the second round, playing off the 10th tee, had to birdie the last to get into the Oswick Club. And? And birdied the last. So that's the ninth for him. Um, so he, he had a three under par 69 to go 84-69 and get in on the well, stroke of 15, 15 shots. So she, he's the first non-Charlotte Oswick member well, of the Oswick Club. He's the first, yes. he's the first inductee. I first mean, inductee. Yeah, and tell you what, Karma's a bitch and we're probably all going to go shoot <laughs> 115 so, on the weekend. That is so true. I'm surprised at the fact that you're going to have some time to play golf. But anyway. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I, this is why we're happy to do this, Andy, because on, on Twitter, Charlotte yeah. Oswick, at C. Oswick, A-U-S-T, Wick. Gorgeous Paint. girl. I'll say that again. Yeah. Really, really gorgeous girl. And we're not actually. There are people who shot better than her in the first round in South Africa and pulled out. So I'm, yeah, all, no, I'm good all on about her. That's coming what back. I was mm. hand on heart when I said good on her for finishing mm. the yeah. round. Like mm. I mean that absolutely. Pain is temporary. Quitting lasts forever. Well, that's so that's awesome. the motto on the Oswick Cup. So we're all over that. So who was the? Oh God, I'm thinking of the bloke, the big redheaded pro from New Zealand who led the Masters, and I'm going back. A long, long way here, and someone's going to remember his name, and I shouldn't have oh. introduced this, <laughs> but I reckon he shot 65 in the first round to lead, and I reckon he shot, so he's gone the other way. Yeah. He We've shot got a new club. 84, 85 in the second round. I'm the president of that club. Missed the cut, <laughs> and as I was walking out on the Friday, we'd been there as kids watching it all day, he was laid behind one of the sponsor's marquees on the ground, asleep, had a couple of the sponsor's product empty next to him, and I can't remember the name of the place. That's your Some, homework. Yeah, I'll, I'll have the name. I'll have the name. I'll get somebody. Will, so he's gone the other way, this bloke. Which is but we should also mention, if we, we creep up the leaderboard at the um, South African Women's Open, the winner is quite a well, quite a notable mention, I think. Her fourth start, young Indian girl, Diksha Dega, I think I say, and Whitaker probably would have done that a much better job than that I would have, <laughs> no doubt. But she um, and prided herself on it, <laughs> yeah, and made us all feel inferior. Born with result. a uh, hearing impairment, so she's had um, AIDS um, since the age of six, I believe, and also her younger brother um, has won a World Deaf Championship. Recently, won the summer. Uh, sorry, no, she silver medalist at the Summer World um, Olympics, the Deaf Olympics. And now in her fourth event on the LET, having turned pro at the start of this year, had a win. So she becomes this youngest Indian, um, the second Indian to win on the European tour. Uh, I, think, I think it's a really notable mention and a great story. Absolutely it is. That's she won fantastic. the qualifying um, mm. at, at Sanctuary Lakes here to get into the Vic Open earlier this year, Andy. So. A, a young woman with a lot of promise. And, and just following that up, um, there was an Indian girl or a South African girl of Indian descent, Kajal Mystery, who won the amateur title there in South Africa. And we watched, Justin Falconer and I had the pleasure of watching an Indian team at the Queen's Circuit Cup. And there's a girl there. Her name was, and I'm just going to struggle to find it here, An <laughs> Annika Varma. 
um, who is 14 years of age. She she finished even par for the tournament, tied sixth. A phenomenal effort by herself. A couple of good teammates too, 14 and 16. But she was next level. And I asked her what her thoughts were of Annika Sorenstam. And she said, oh, yeah, she's all right. I said, can you be the best Annika one day? She said, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I, I can be the best Annika. Uh, so yeah. I'm just keep out. India is obviously, a, you know, a coming concern. No doubt about that. Mm. Absolutely. I think it was Alex Bonington too, by the way. The name's just come to me. Bonington. <laughs> Alex Bonington. Uh, Don't ring a bell with anyone? No, it doesn't okay. not with I'll me. Probably, if I've got, if I've done Alex Bonington a disservice here, the actual Alex Bonington, I'll take it back. <laughs> oh, no. uh, just one more bit of housekeeping, Andy, um, before we call it quits today in night number 94. Um, the first town formally launched as part of the Outback Queensland Masters was done this week. It was Roma. Yep. So... Um, this is a new event. It's going to be absolutely awesome. I encourage anyone who's ever had the will to see you know, outback Queensland in particular, but Australia more broadly, but this is all in Queensland. Uh, it's going to start in Roma on the 17th and 18th of June. It's going to visit Charleville on the 22nd and 23rd, Longreach on the 29th and 30th, Winton on the 13th and 40th, 13th and 14th of June. Sorry, I have a different order there. It might have been July, that one. I'll check that on the website. Uh, and Boulia. And then before finishing in Mount Isa on the 26th and 28th of July, uh, each event takes the form of two nine-hole rounds played over consecutive days, including a novelty hole at each location that connects to a local tourism experience. And um, so there's going to be an overall winner, but there's going to be coincided the trips, the towns that are hosting are coinciding with festivals and mm. things around their town. So it's, if you've ever, ever wanted to go and see those magnificent towns, I mean, there's some epic Australian names there, Longreach, Roma, Mount Isa oh, among them. Yeah, um, get out there and get involved with the Outback Queensland Masters. Just check out our website for that. You can st- still taking entries. Um, one, it'll be one of the great tournaments, I reckon, in years to come, and this is the first chance to get a part, be a part of it. Oh, go and listen to Sergeant Small by when his party's anything, and all of those <laughs> towns will get a mention. Um, clearly, Inside the Ropes should be we should uh, be representing our shows. From those destinations, oh, I reckon I can. That's I reckon not, we can twist the oh, tourism well, Queensland. Should be up um, there doing our shows from up there. <laughs> Might be a very tough, tough bus to get on that one. I reckon. Oh, we should we should check that out because tourism and events mm. Queensland are, are big into this. They're really supportive, and um, you know, maybe they, you never know. Yeah, you right, never let's know. plant the seed. Ooh. You never know where it takes us. That's right. Uh, is that it? Are we done? We're done. Good on you. Good yeah. to see you, Joey. Likewise, good to be back. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Hazy, good to see you again. Cheers, Andy. I'm glad to be um, you know, under your tutelage again. Oh, no, no. We should take it in turns. You do this next week. No, no. I'm great to have here. Dave McKenzie on the show. That was great fun. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, that's it. Another Inside the Ropes done and dusted. Back next week for number 95. We'll see you then.